Good afternoon, folk, and great to be with you here again on Faith FM and Looking Up. My name is Danny Malenkov, and I will be with you this afternoon with my good friend, Peter Watts. And so we are glad that you can be joining us from wherever you are listening from. Here in Walls End, where we are in Newcastle, it's an absolutely scorcher of a day. I, w- I wouldn't go that far. It's warm. It's, <laughs> it's warm and breezy. It's, it's, the, it's the first Wednesday in spring, we're not, Peter. Actually, it is. It first, is. First, first week Wednesday, of spring. First week of spring. So and I've seen some of the blossoms blooming, Danny, as well as uh, we've noticed flowers. My wife and I regularly walk in the morning, and uh, we've noticed some of the flowers blooming, and uh, particularly just some little blossoms on our tree. Mm, yeah, I know. It's Got just a, plum a tree. beautiful time of the year. I love this time of year um, as the weather starts warming up. And so wherever you are, I hope and pray you are having a, a beautiful day. And I know that you're going to be blessed because this afternoon on Looking Up, once again, we're going to be tapping into God's Word. We're going to be unpacking another element of God's final message of love to the world that we discover there in the book of Revelation. So we'll be sharing that with you as we go along. Now, some of you may want to give us a call and ask a question. We love questions coming in, don't we, Peter? We, we do. Please send those questions in. We want to uh, hear what you've got to say. Uh, comments too, by the way, if you've got something to contribute to the conversation. We're all uh, very much wanting to hear from you, but you may have questions about subjects. And uh, if you do, you can phone in and let us know about them. Do you want me to give out the numbers yeah, here, Yeah, give Danny? out those phone numbers. Here we Peter. go. So if you would like to call in a question or a comment, you can call 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-324-843. Or you can text 491 0- 064-669. That's 0491-064-669. And we would love to hear your comments and questions. Absolutely. And if you're if you're joining us possibly for the first time, um, you can go to the Faith FM website, which is faithfm.com.au. And if you want to catch up on some of the previous um, episodes right from the very beginning when we started uh, about two, three months ago, probably about three months ago or, or so now. Go to the podcast section there, look for Looking Up, and um, you'll come across these two not-so-good-looking gentlemen, um, Peter and myself, And um, but fortunately we hopefully sound a little bit better than what we look, um, and you'll be able to see all those messages there. So go to the podcasts. And you'll be able to catch up. So we'll be sharing with you in a little bit where we'll be heading this afternoon. We're going to be looking at an extremely important message. But in the meantime, I want you to sit back, relax as you enjoy the remnant, the eyes of Jesus. So enjoy this beautiful song. Don't know how I got along Searching every day for the meaning of life Wondering how could God love me Through all my sorrow and all my strife God's forgiven me, why can't you? He's got a nail of scarred hands To prove his love is true 
Hope you enjoyed that lovely song. Didn't it have a good country feel to it? Um, For all our country and western, uh, absolutely. I love country and western music. I really enjoy country and western music. Well, there it's you just, go. It's happy and um, you know it's very positive. Bring and, your banjo. Yeah, absolutely. Well, welcome back. And if you have joined us just in the last little bit, we want to welcome you to Looking Up. The reason why we call this program Looking Up is based on Luke twenty-one verse twenty-eight. <laughs> where Jesus said, when you see all these things, and we're going to be talking right now about some of the things that Jesus talked about would be happening just before he returns. There would be um, all all sorts of strife. There would be um, uh, different disasters in the world. And there'd just basically be a lot of chaos in the world just before Jesus returns. And Jesus said, when you see all these things happening, when you see those labor pains intensifying that he used, that analogy to describe the end of the world. He said, look up, because your redemption is drawing near. Look up. And that's what we want to encourage people to do. At the end of the day, the, uh, the main goal, I guess, Danny, of this whole radio program that we do each uh, week is to have people do just that and look up, look to God, look to Christ. The human race needs a saviour, mm. and only God can provide. Um, and so we, we you know... Many, many people can look around at the world around us, um, our own situation, uh, situations in other countries, the deterioration that we see in conditions, and we, we, need, we need a saviour. That's exactly right. And so God, God is offering us that salvation. We've needed a saviour from the very beginning of we time. When, when sin entered this world, the Bible <clears throat> says, 
God went looking for Adam and Eve right yeah. at the very beginning. They they ran away from God, but God went looking for them in search of them in order to save them. And so ever since then, uh, that's been God's priority. That's been God's ultimate mission. And in sending Jesus, he came to seek and save the lost. And so this program is all about introducing you to Jesus who alone is the Savior of the world. He alone is our hope. There yeah. is no other true hope other than Jesus Christ and the plan of salvation, which will ultimately climax with the second coming. That's right. And I, I used to say, Danny, that um, you, you know I, I uh, was an atheist till my mid-20s and I had an encounter with God, but I usually will tell people that Jesus is not your best hope of salvation. <gasps> He's not? Jesus is not your best hope. He's your only hope. And <laughs> that's, that's the right. thing. The idea that Jesus is your best hope of salvation implies that there may be others uh, and there's not. I mean, the Bible tells us quite plainly there is no other name under heaven uh, given amongst men by which we must be saved. And the name Jesus, of course, literally means Jehovah saves, God mm. saves. Uh, that was the name that he was given uh, because he is the saviour through which God saves. That's right. And so when we reflect on, on what's been happening in the news and in our world over the past week, uh, it seems to be a common theme, Peter. Um, there, there just seems to be more and more division, sadly, more and more unrest in the streets. And it's not just in one geographical location. Um, it's, it's all over the place, uh, whether it be COVID related, whether it be, uh, whether it be, um, a, a political, uh, you know, a political el election that is yeah. disputed, such as we have there in Eastern Europe. Um, sure. and w whether it be people who are, are protesting over, you know, over restrictions, yeah. um, it, there just seems to be a, a, a lot of angst. It's very interesting. I was watching a Channel Seven news bulletin the other day, and uh, they were—I mean, it was just a catalogue of bad news, right? Bad news stories. And do, does the world need some good news? The Bible, the gospel, is called the good news. I mean, if ever it was a time we needed good news, it's now. But there's a, this catalogue of bad news and then they have, oh, and there's a good news story. And it was about the fact that during the California wildfires, they'd found a squirrel in the woods and they'd rescued it. And, and I'm saying, fan, <laughs> fantastic. Thank, thanks for, you know, I'm so glad that they saved that little squirrel. But if that's the best you've got in terms of the good news story for that night... That's to me. That's it's really scraping the barrel. If you've got this catalogue of bad news, bad news, bad news, and um, it just yeah. One of the things I noticed, Danny, um, just particularly in the last uh, week or so, I guess we had done a program where we had highlighted the fact that in um, Revelation chapter thirteen there are two great powers represented there. Uh, one is the medieval church and the other was uh, the power we believe to be the United States of America and how that power will gradually change over time from being lamb-like to being uh, dragon-like. And um, it just it's interesting to, to see um, what the America is going through at the moment. I've got friends in America. You may have too. I've got family know. there. Yeah, well, I've got extended family there. And, uh, you know, so we, we pray for the people of the United States, for sure. And there are many wonderful, godly Christian people there, too. Um, and so, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, there's some challenging things. So we were talking about Hurricane Laura that I think slammed into uh, the coast of Texas and Louisiana, I think it was, 
just a few days ago. Um, then there was the California wildfires, um, you know, that they are saying have been more devastating than ever. I, they seem to say that every year. Mm. Um, and then, of course, there's been a lot of social unrest that is continuing, and uh, it's really a sad situation. And so uh, the, from a prophetic point of view, what we're, well, the reason we keep our eyes on what happens in America is because that's kind of where the prophetic spotlight, if you like, of Revelation 13 shifts towards the United States. It's not that the political religious power represented by the first beast is unimportant. It's just that it's the second beast power that is operating on its behalf. And so it's going to be fascinating to see how the United States reacts to these many and various challenges from natural disasters to social unrest to the political division and so forth. Not to mention the economic fallout well, yeah. um, associated with, with, with the pandemic. Well, yeah, and they, I mean, that's right. The United States has bigger numbers than most in terms of COVID cases. So, yeah, it's, uh, there's, there's a, a lot on the plate of the United States at the moment. And what's interesting is to see what the reaction is thereof. I mean, if I give you a little bit of example, you know, years ago when um, I first became a Christian and I started looking at the different prophecies of book, uh, the books of Daniel and Revelation, um, it was interesting to see what had happened recently to the Soviet Union. So the Soviet Union had been dominant, obviously, in Russia uh, and in the other states that it sort of occupied and also in Eastern Europe. And then sort of literally overnight the Berlin Wall falls mm. and you have this falling of communism in the East. Um, and it was kind of interesting if you, in the past, you might have looked at the United States and said, well, how, how will the United States become such an influencer when you have this opposite power of, of communism through the Soviet Union that was opposing it? But that power sort of crumbled away and it was interesting to see it wasn't so much um, what the opposition was to the United States, but how it would respond and how it would deal with that crisis. Same was true with 9-11. So 9-11, you know, people were wondering, well, where, where is Islam in the Bible, in, in Bible prophecy, and how does this event feature? Um, and my response was, well, to me, it's more about what the response of the United States is, because it's such a big player at the end of time. What is its response and how does that influence end time events and influence God's people? And as I reflect on, um, you know, on the fall of the Berlin Wall and the fall of communism between mm. 89 and 91 in particular, it happened so quickly. Yeah. I mean, this is a, a system, a power that You couldn't was, have predicted it. You oh, would, there's no way you would have predicted it. You wouldn't it. have predicted there's that would have happened. No way in the world. You wouldn't have predicted And people were stunned um, how quickly the wall came down, um, you know, Figuratively speaking, as in the wall of communism, and 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 literally speaking, and I guess it's very similar to what's happened this year with COVID. Yes. Um, it's very interesting. Same with nine eleven. When nine eleven occurred, you could not have predicted that that would have happened no. until that day happened, and it was wow. You know, the world changed in that out of day. the blue. Out of the, the blue. Same with this year. Yeah, exactly right. And it's interesting because Jesus actually uses language um, to describe uh, the suddenness of his coming yeah. um, with, with words like that where he says, you know, uh, like a thief in the night, mm -hmm. you know, who comes suddenly and um, like labor pains upon a pregnant woman. 
Um, it'll just come suddenly, you know. I'm what? just yeah. I'm just thinking of First Thessalonians five three, where it says, "For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes as labour pains upon a pregnant woman." And so, in other words, the the words there are sudden destruction comes. It's not gradual. So, so there, there can be sudden change. And so, when we talk about some of these things in prophecy, we might be looking at it and saying, well, "I can't see that happening anytime soon." Well, no, but we couldn't see this coming anytime soon. The pandemic, right? So. Mm. Things can change. Well, it's interesting because I had um, I had a phone call <clears throat> from a person that I know on my way to to Faith FM this afternoon, and and he's been listening in. So if you're listening, Graham, um, yeah, big shout out to you. And he asked me the question: Do you think, based on what's going on in the world right now, Jesus could possibly return in ten years' time? And I said, I said, you know what? Um, if if God begins to allow those winds that are being held back by the four angels that we read in Revelation 7 if he begins to seriously release them i believe that they that they are all that they are being released right now but if god starts releasing them even more things could wrap up very very quickly um, those final movements um, that Bible prophecy predicts and describes that we've been talking about and we're going to continue talking about, they can happen very, very quickly. We don't, yeah. we don't need decades and decades uh, to see the things that don't seem possible and unimaginable taking place. It can happen very quickly, provided the right conditions and the right circumstances are in place. Yeah, and I think what we've seen, Danny, too, is, is I like to um, kind of uh, equate it to a little bit like a chessboard. Um, it takes a few moves to put your pieces in the right places uh, and then the final moves can be quite rapid, right, in terms of, uh, you know, you coming to checkmate. You can make, uh, you, you put the pieces in the right place. And what I would say for the world today is many of the pieces that we see in the book of Revelation, that we see lined up in the book of Daniel, many of those pieces are in place. And so... Uh, we do not know the day nor the hour. Mm. Jesus is very plain about that in Matthew 24. Uh, no man knows the day nor the hour. All right, And so I think you, you would be right to avoid those who are date setters. Right, We don't want to set a date. You won't ever hear me set a date. No. Uh, even though we, we talk about you know the doomsday clock and we say two minutes to midnight, and that's the scientific world. Or 100 right? seconds to midnight. Or 100 right seconds to midnight. We, we're then. Within two minutes to midnight, and, and that's that, that's the scientific community, mm. you know, and that's not giving you a specific time. It's just saying, hey, we're close to a major disaster here if we don't alter our course. Mm. And so we've talked about that before. And um, yeah, I just think that it's uh, there are many things that we have looked at in prophecy that the pieces are in place. Not least the uh, ascendancy of the United States in the last uh, century to the place where it is now. When it comes to the timing of Jesus uh, of Jesus coming, I look at these two statements that Jesus makes in Matthew 24. You've, 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 you've shared one already, Peter, that no man knows the day and the hour, and that is absolutely true. Jesus made that very clear in Matthew 24. But in Matthew 24, Jesus also gives the analogy of the fig tree. And you know when summer is coming based on what's taking place um, in the fig tree. As the leaves come out, you know that summer is on its way. And see, Jesus said, uh, you cannot know the day or the hour, but you can know when my coming is near, even at the doors. Yep. 
And, um, and we talked about that from Luke 21. When you see all these things taking place, when there's great fear, when there's anxiety, um, when there's perplexity amongst the nations, look up for your redemption is drawing near. Again, he uses yeah. that word near. So, yeah. so this tension, this tension between, you know. There's we, a difference between near and here. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> the near and here. I like that. And um, so, yeah, the important thing is that Jesus Christ is front and center in our lives day by day. We are seeking to unite our lives with him, that we are walking with him. That's the most important thing. And Jesus made that very clear when he said, just watch and be ready. Be ready now. Yeah. Be ready every day. That, that's, that's, yeah, that's the, that's the point I was just going to emphasize in that the idea when you read this passage in Matthew 24, and I'm reading from Matthew 24, 36, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. And then he says, next verse, but as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, the point that I see when you read this passage, it's not saying no man knows the day of the hour, so relax. Take it easy because no man knows the day. Could be any, could be a hundred years from now, could be a thousand years from now. That's not the intent no. of when he says no man knows the day of the hour. He's saying no man knows the day of the hour, therefore be ready now. Mm, that's and right. that's, that's the point. That's right. So anyway, that gives us a bit of an intro into today. We're going to be looking at justice today, mm. the all-important um, subject of justice. And that's um, yeah, that's been front and centre um, in the news, and we know how important that is. So sit back, uh, listen to this music. There's going to be some news, and then after that we'll be back um, to continue with this subject. Tu 
Welcome back. Good to have you this afternoon on Looking Up with uh, myself, Danny Malenkov, and my friend Peter Watts. And this afternoon, we are going to be digging deep into the all-important subject of justice and judgment. Um, we're going to discover how important and how critical and crucial this message is to the everlasting gospel that we've been unpacking mm. over the last uh, number of weeks. So I, I do want to just um, invite you if, you, if you would like to comment or you've got a question, please give us a call. 1-800-324-843 or text in your question or comment on 0491-064-669. And if there is someone out there that would like to study the Bible, you'd like to learn more about what God has planned for you and the plan of salvation and how you can be saved and in God's everlasting kingdom of love, you'd like someone to study the Bible with you. We have people who love to do that. And so give us a call, send us a message, and we'll get in touch with you and we'll ensure that we can assist you in your journey toward the kingdom. Now, Peter, this is an important subject, sure. um, justice. Um, it's, it's something that's, that's, that's very current, especially in our climate today. It's, it's always been something that's been important to the human race ever yeah. since the beginning of time, justice. Yeah, every single day we see uh, you know, calls for justice. And I think the, the, the reason this comes into our conversation about the gospel, about God, about all of that, is we have, we have mentioned before that we've all inherited this addiction to sin or selfishness. We've all committed sin. The Bible says we're all sinners in need of a saviour. That's why we need Jesus. And then the question obviously arises, well, if God's so willing to forgive everybody, is there a place for justice? I mean, if God, you know, some people believe, for instance, in universal salvation. In other words, that God is so loving, he's so kind, he's so good, that he forgives everybody everything. And then the problem with that view... I and that guess, everyone's going to be saved at the end of the day. And that everybody would be saved. Now, the problem with that is if, if you've got problems on earth... And you forgive everybody, you take them all to heaven, you're going to have the same problems in heaven, right? Um, so it's, it's going to quickly deteriorate, you would think, because, the, the, you know, because if people's hearts are not changed and so forth. So the question then is, you know, where does justice fit in? And, you know, I, I think this is such a, a um, it's, it's like a, um, a topic that is familiar to every single person, because every single person listening today will be thinking about there have been times when they have been unjustly treated or mm. unfairly judged or, uh, you know, accused of things maybe they didn't do or misunderstood, whatever it may be. And if I could just chip in, we're aware of this innately, like th th this is part of our DNA. Right. because Part of being human. Yeah, you're, you're in kindy, you're mm. in grade prep. In year one at school, something happens to you on the playground, um, you know, you get falsely accused and you get in trouble yeah. um, from your teacher and, and your friend that was the instigator gets let off and you are just so upset, you're angry, you're in tears, you can't wait to get home to tell mum and dad how unfairly you were treated. So it's yeah. something that's built within us, this this sense of injustice, how wrong it is, and the importance of justice and fairness. Yeah, I mean, and it's, yeah, and it's, that's right, I think it's innately part of, of what it means to be human. We, we, we have this sense of what is just and what is right. Uh, and that right, you know, right should prevail. So, for instance, you you know, you look at uh, 
any of the free-to-air channels, you look at uh, Netflix or whatever streaming service people might use, the amount of crime drama shows that are on TV or available for, for live streaming, right, um, that, that all typically, almost all of them typically deal with the good guys against the bad guys and they're trying to bring people to justice and at the end... Typically, they do succeed in bringing people to justice and everybody feels better about that, right? In most movies, almost all movies, you have uh, like a hero and you have a villain and there's all signs of twists and turns. There's a problem that occurs, all sorts of twists and turns that go along the movie. But at the end of the movie, the hero wins and the villain, you know, uh, loses and there's justice is done and people feel better about that. And in fact, when you find, when you do see a movie, and they're occasionally sometimes like this, you have a movie that doesn't end like that. Oh, it's bad news. There's a feeling of dissatisfaction. I want my money have. back. I want my money you know, back. <laughs> because it yeah. didn't work out the way I thought it was going to work out. And so this, this sort of seems, you know, very real to us. And just recently, of course, we had the Christchurch Massacre trial. Um, and uh, the gentleman there, whose name I won't mention, because uh, I know people don't want to glorify mm. his acts, um, but he uh, shot 51 people dead, injured 40 people on this rampaging massacre in March of 2019. And uh, we've just uh, seen, obviously, the court case on the news streams, and uh, he's been sentenced to life. Um, and there's a sense of justice. Uh, in other words, this man committed crimes, Something should be done, and you know he is sentenced, and so. And I think the same goes. I mean, you know, we could use example after example regarding injustice and the cry for for justice. We we see what took place in in the United States when mm. that police officer, um, you know, had his knee yep. on 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 that. Um, George got, George Floyd George, George Floyd. Floyd. I had a bit of a blank on his name. George Floyd had his knee. Uh, on his neck yeah, he, for over eight minutes, yeah, he died. He yep. died as a result of that, and and we People saw want justice. and we saw the the mayhem that that yep. ensued from from coast to coast. People yep. crying out for justice, yep. saying enough is enough. And so this cry is universal. Yes, it's universal. It's part of the the human psyche. It's part of who we are. Now it's not just. It's just not. It's not just in the news and um, and social media and and in the movies. Um, we also have uh, this as as part of everyday life mm. that we experience. Um, I get home. I know just something really simple, and uh, you know my kids. You know they've they've um, they've done something, and my wife thinks, oh, that looks like a Danny moment." <laughs> and so it's like away she goes. You know, like Danny, how could you? And da di da di da. And I'm like. No, hang on a minute. That wasn't me. That was someone else. Oh, okay. Who did it? Oh, one of my daughter's pipes up. It was me. You know, and I just, I just for a split second there feel, oh, that was not right. And I'm kind of like, I think you should say a sorry and apologize or whatever, you know, just, just little things or big things. But we just, we, we just don't feel right when we have been um, dealt with in that way. And I guess when we see people, dealt with unjustly, we feel really awful. I think of the Lindy Chamberlain case. Um, yeah. some, some of our listeners um, 
that were around back then. That all took place in 1980. Um, 40 years ago. Yeah, 40 years ago, literally 40 years ago, um, when a dingo did take her baby. And um, she, she, she declared that right from the very beginning. Her husband, there were eyewitnesses there that were with them at the time that were able to, to vouch for, for that story. However, she was condemned mm. as someone who murdered her baby. Mm. Um, and, you know, when the, when, when the jumpsuit was found that she said was always on little Azaria, she was exonerated. There was an inquest and there was a pardon. Uh, not a pardon. There was an apology. And so, you know, we, we have situations like that. And yeah. um, so the Bible has a lot to say about justice. It really and, does. Um, and justice and judgment go hand in hand. And you were sharing yeah, with me earlier that. important. Yeah, I uh, think it, so. Go on. There, there are individuals who, who, who are all for justice. Mm. But when it comes to judgment, we're like, mm, we're not quite sure. Um, however, the two go hand in hand. And you, cannot, you cannot have justice without a judgment that's right that's right so if you you know if you were asked to to ask a crowd how many of you want justice in your society most of the hands would go up but if you said how many of you want judgment in your society not as many of the hands go up because we think of judgment as a negative thing but we think of justice as something we all desire um, but the reality is as you've said there can be no justice without a judgment they're, they're just both judicial terms and so um, that's the important to important to remember as we read about verses about judgment when we look at the Bible. Yeah, so that's where we're going to go this afternoon. Uh, it's an extremely important message. If you've got a friend or someone that you know, I'd encourage you to yeah invite them, send them a message, give them a call, do whatever you need to. Invite them to to listen in over the next hour and a bit as we continue to unpack this all important subject. Now we're going to go to to the scriptures and we're going to seek to continue where we've left off last week. But before before we do that, Peter, I feel we need to have a prayer. This is a really important subject, as sure. they all are. And I'm just going to have a short prayer and then we're going to plunge into the book of Revelation. So if you have a Bible handy, you're not driving, um, feel free to grab your Bible and you can track with us. So let's just pause for a moment. Father in heaven, we just ask and pray as we open your word, open our hearts and our minds that we may be willing and able and ready to receive what you have to share with us through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, we want to go to Revelation 14, um, Peter and um. Uh, we've been looking at the three angels' messages and we've been unpacking the first angel's message. We want to read that from Revelation 14, 6 and 7 and then we probably just want to just very briefly for our listeners that may not have tuned in to just simply share uh, a very brief rundown on where we have been before we move into the judgment section of the first angel's message. So do you want to read Revelation 14, verse 6 and 7? Yeah, sure. So... This is uh, there's a set of three angels. We're going to read from the first one. There are three angels' messages that go to all the world just before Jesus returns in Revelation 14. So we're going to look at that. Revelation 14, 6 and 7, it says this. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. So here we have what we've said uh, about this message so far is we, we see an angel that is a heavenly messenger. It's a messenger from God. 
and it's flying, it says, in midst heaven. In other words, it's an urgent message that it has. It's flying in midst heaven. It's coming around the world because it, it says it's going to go to all the world. But it says having the everlasting gospel, that's the everlasting good news. It's the good news about God. It's about the good news about who he is. And in spite of the fact that we are fallen and um, we are sometimes misguided and we make mistakes and we also make choices that are, are bad for us and bad for others, God wants to save us and God is a saviour. And so the everlasting gospel is the good news about what God has done to save humanity. And it's the good news about his character, actually, as well. So fear God, give glory, sorry, um, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. This is a worldwide message. It says, saying with a loud voice, it's got to go to everybody, fear God and give glory to him. To fear God means to reverence and to respect God. In fact, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we also discovered that to fear God is to seek by his grace to live in harmony with his principles of love, yeah. which are contained in the Ten Commandments. They, yeah. are the, they are the ten love principles of how we relate to God, sure. how we relate to one another. Yeah, God has a plan for how we live because he wants us to be successful in life and he wants us to be a blessing to each other. Um, so he says, fear God, and uh, fear God also in the um, Old Testament tells us that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Mm. And so that's another good reference. But fear God and give glory to him, and that is to give glory to God in the way that we live, the way that we reflect his character. And then it says, for the hour of his judgment has come. In other words, this angel in its message announces that the hour of his judgment has come. Now, the importance of this is interesting because this is the first angel's message. There are two others that follow it, the second angel and the third angel, and then comes the second coming. So clearly, the hour of his judgment has come, occurs before the second coming of Christ. And that's an important um, element that we will find uh, a little later confirmed in other passages in the scripture. But there is a judgment. It is his judgment. That's God's judgment. The hour of his judgment has come. And so the, this first angel is announcing that the, government, uh, the, the judgment has come and this judgment occurs before the second coming of Christ. Thank you for that um, overall summary, Peter. That was fantastic. So we want to take a look at uh, the timing of the judgment, how we know and how we can be certain that it takes place before the coming of Jesus. And then we're going to take a look at what the judgment entails. What does it the, mean for you and me? What does it mean? And we're going to discover that the judgment is good news. Absolutely. Uh, very good news for those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus, those that have aligned their lives with him and have allowed him to live their lives in him. So it's great news. So don't go away as we continue to unpack this all-important message of justice and God's wonderful judgment. Sit back now and listen to David Evans' amazing love. And so they watched him die, despised, rejected by the old, the blood he shed. Amazing love 
Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed that beautiful song. We are looking at the judgment here this afternoon on Looking Up, and we're looking at the importance of the judgment. We're looking at the good news of the judgment and justice and how these two all-important concepts come together in Scripture. We've discovered that at the end of time, in that first angel's message, God's final message of love to the world, there are three angels, as as Peter pointed out uh, before our break, These are the three final messages that prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus because once these three messages have gone to all the world, the very next event we find in Revelation 14 is Jesus coming with a sickle. And why does a farmer use a sickle? It's because the grain is ripe and ready for harvest. So this is a very important message and we've discovered thus far that the Bible says, that the hour of his judgment has come. So right at the end of time, before Jesus comes, the announcement will will be that we are now living in the judgment hour. Now, Peter, it's important uh, to to try and discover uh, the importance of the timing of the judgment. We're going to be taking a look at why there is a judgment. We're going to be taking a look at um, what are the implications for us. But before we take a look at all that in Daniel chapter 7, so if you want to go to Daniel chapter 7, I just want to share with you a scripture from Jesus in Matthew 12 where he speaks on the judgment and he says in Matthew 12 verse 36 and 37 but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak they will give an account of it in the day of judgment for by your words you will be justified and by your words you'll be condemned so Jesus was very clear that there is a day of judgment coming and um, and in and in other scriptures I mean we have we have the apostle Paul he says that all Every single person will appear uh, before the judgment seat of God. So no one's going to um, miss out on the judgment. So justice will be given to each and every person on planet Earth. Yes. So if we think about this, we were talking about how important justice was and how, you know, most people that you think of want justice, right? We want justice. But here's the challenge for us, I guess. We all want justice if, if something has been done that's wrong to us. But what happens if we do something wrong to someone else? In other words, what 
do we want justice then? No, we want mercy. We want mercy, right? When we are guilty of committing a sin or a crime or um, we need mercy at that point, not justice. And so how does justice work? We're going to look at all of that. There's one other verse I wanted to uh, just mention, Danny, in, in relation to that. And it's kind of related to one, the one you just mentioned, which is 2 Corinthians 5.10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul here is talking future tense, right? He, he's saying we must do this, but, but it's, not, it's not yet. And I, I'll share another verse where Paul is actually speaking and Paul is speaking to the people in Athens. And it's in Acts, Acts 17.31. Luke records this in the book of Acts. Paul is speaking and Paul is speaking to the people of Athens. And he says, He, God, has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this by to all by raising him from the dead. So he's saying that God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world by Jesus. Okay, and it's interesting. It says here Paul is talking. Now, this is many years after the cross. Okay, many years after the crucifixion of Jesus. And Paul is saying he, God, has appointed a day in which he will judge the world. The point being that from Paul's perspective, living years after the cross, Paul is saying the judgment is still yet future. And that's an important element because there are some people who think that judgment occurred at the cross. That's all there is to it. There is no judgment thereafter. But Paul is saying there is a day of judgment that is still yet future for Paul. And we've already read in Revelation that the hour of his judgment has come, is announced prior to the second coming. So what we have in just these few verses is we have a judgment occurring after the cross after the time of Paul, but before the second coming of Christ. Mm, that's a very in- interesting and very important sequence. So, so folk, just in case you, you didn't get it, judgment must take place after the cross and before the coming of Jesus. Yeah. Somewhere in between there. From and a biblical a, perspective, from that's biblical, what we're reading. That's exactly right. And there's a number of other scriptures. If people want to just jot these down, we won't take the time to read them where we're speaking of future judgment. Another one is Acts 24, 25, where Paul speaks of judgment to come. Another one is Romans chapter 2, verse 16, where Paul once again says that God will judge the secrets of men. Then we have Romans 14.10, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And finally, the Lord will judge his people, Hebrews 10.30. And that's just a small selection. A small smattering of the many verses in the Bible that deal with justice because justice and judgment. And we're using those terms interchangeably because, you know, uh, judgment means that there will be justice. Well, one, one, one element I'm going to bring out of this verse too. It says, he will judge the world in righteousness. Mm. What that means is that when God makes a judgment, he's going to get it right. That's, that's principally what that means. In other words, you know, sometimes in court cases, they'll gather the evidence, they'll have the court case, they might bring a conviction. And then later on, They'll discover some more evidence. You mentioned the Lindy Chamberlain case, right? They'll discover more evidence. That will be brought to bear. They might have a retrial, and then suddenly the person who was convicted is now released because of greater evidence. We didn't know that evidence exists. We know we were just making a decision based on the evidence we had. Now we've got greater evidence. We're better informed. We can make a different decision. The good thing about God's judgment is that God has 
There's nothing that escapes his notice, right? Now, many might be wondering at this point, and I think I can feel their nervousness, Danny, down the, down the airwaves. I can feel their nervousness. You can feel it. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, if God has all the evidence in, and I think about all the sins that I've committed, all, the ones I can remember, not to mention the ones I can't remember, mm. but God remembers them. God doesn't forget. You know, God, I mean, God, you know, he's not got a problem with his memory. If God has access to all the evidence, I feel nervous about that. But do I? It depends. We're going to find out why we don't need to be nervous about that. And that's, and we're going to find out why we, why we refer to this subject and why I refer to this subject as the good news about the judgment, mm. and we're going to discover that as we go yeah. along. But just to just to um, continue on that on that thought that you you shared regarding God's judgment and justice will be shown to be fair and righteous and just. Um, we we have Revelation chapter fifteen, mm-hmm. Revelation chapter fifteen verses three and four, and this is what the redeemed sing at the end of time. So these are the saved. The Bible says they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Mm. notice these words, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? That's straight out of the first angel's message. For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you. Why? Here we go. For your judgments have been manifested. Mm. So just and true are your ways. All of your judgments have been manifested. So there'll be complete closure. um, And it will be shown that God is love, that everything that he has ever done for the human race has been done only through the motivation of love. Only through the motivation of love. There has been no other motivating factor why Mm. God has done what he has done. And those that are in his kingdom are there because they have accepted His grace. They have, mm. they have chosen to live in harmony with the principles of His kingdom and they will forever be part of that group that will give praise and honor and glory to God, the one who they want to live in harmony with uh, with His principles. Yeah. So that's, that's the truth. Now we will go to Daniel chapter 7. Okay. We'll go to Daniel chapter 7 for the timing of the judgment. Now, we've already been to Daniel chapter 7 in the past, a mm. long, long time ago. Now, just a, just, just a quick recap. In, in Daniel chapter 2, so a few chapters back, in Daniel chapter 2, we have a, a dream there that King Nebuchadnezzar had. And basically, God gave to King Nebuchadnezzar from his day in Babylon, when he was ruling in Babylon about 2,500 years ago, all the way through to the end of time when Jesus would return. Okay, we have the history of of Babylon and Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, the division of Rome and the coming of Jesus. Now, in Daniel chapter 7, we have repetition and we have enlargement, yep. as we've looked at that principle before. But this time, God doesn't use metals as he did in Daniel 2. Here, he uses animals. Mm. And we have, we have four animals that are used. We have uh, a lion that represents Babylon. We have a bear that represents Medo-Persia. We have a leopard. That represents Greece, and then we have this strange, nondescript this beast. Terrible beast. This terrible beast that represents Rome. Now, as we keep reading, we discover that Rome breaks up, and it's described here by ten horns. 
Uh, ten horns on this beast is the breakup of the Roman Empire, and we've already looked at this in the past. Rome, when it broke up, it broke up into a number of nations, and ultimately ten nations settled. Now, on top, once the breakup took place, there was another power. In addition. In addition, there was another power that arose, and you can read about that in Daniel 7, 8. We won't take the time to, to read that. A little horn power. Yeah, we have a little horn power that arises, and we've identified that according to Scripture and according to the Reformers mm. as the Roman Church state yeah. that arose during the Dark Ages and ruled for a period of 1260 years. And this, now, this interpretation is about 700 years old at least. You know, At least. With Wycliffe, um, you know, identifying it as such and so... Uh, we, we're not the Waldenses. Uh, yeah, we're, we're uh, not. We're not a thousand um, years ago making yeah. this up this no. week. This is something that was in the history books. That's right. So now we go to Daniel chapter seven and verse nine. So notice what we've had. We've had. We've had uh, these four kingdoms, four major powers. Then the breakup of Rome and the the, the emergence of the little horn power, which is the Church of Rome. And then we have verse nine and ten. Do you want to read verses nine sure. and ten um, of Daniel seven, and then you can make a comment? Okay. So Daniel chapter nine, uh, sorry, Daniel chapter seven, verse nine. It says, "I watched till thrones were put in place, and uh, the Ancient of Days was seated." His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, and its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. So here what you have is you have the earthly historical powers... Uh, leading up to uh, the Roman Empire, then the division of the Roman Empire, then the emergence of the Roman church state. And then you have this description of a heavenly scene where you have thrones being put in place. The Ancient of Days was seated, which is interesting because it means the Ancient of Days wasn't seated in that place before. So a throne is put in place Mm -hmm. into a certain location the Ancient of Days takes his place. This is describing a heavenly scene. So you have things taking place on earth that we've talked about, and then we get this heavenly scene. The Ancient of Days, which is God the Father, he is described there, and it says there are thousands that ministered to him, thousands of thousands, and it says the court was seated and the books were open. You have this heavenly courtroom scene that occurs after the ministry of the little horn power. If I could just add, I've got a little footnote here next to the word court. I'm using the New King James Version, as you are. And the footnote um, next to court is the word judgment. Mm. So the judgment was seated. Okay. It's very clear. That's yep. the original word. So it's a it's a judgment court that we're talking about. That's right. So that's what we have here. And then we have once again... Uh, we have once again the, the judgment scene being described in verses 13 and 14 for the second time. We won't take the time to read that, Peter, because what I would like to do, and we are getting very close to our break, we want to take a look at the timing of the judgment and how God and his people are, are vindicated. Mm. at the end of the judgment as we take a look at the end of the chapter. And we're going to take a look at the sequence which which beautifully leads us from verse 23 all the way through to verse 27 with this judgment, 
its timing and the end result and how God will vindicate his people. Mm. How do we survive the judgment, Danny? You know, that's an important element. Now, Is so this- far you have, you have brought out the Son of Man, yep. that's Jesus Christ, and I the Ancient I, of Days. I haven't read that yet. We, we haven't come to uh, the, the Son of Man yet. I know we haven't. That, 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 that's there in verse 13, which, which we're going to get to. Cool. All right. We've got a lot more to unpack. So sit back. Don't go away. We're going to uh, dive into another beautiful song right now.
Welcome back. That was a rousing song, if ever there was one. Hope you enjoyed that. Welcome back to Faith FM and Looking Up. And we are looking at the subject of the judgment and justice. And uh, Peter, before we went to that uh, beautiful music piece, we were looking at uh, the the judgment sequence there in Daniel chapter 7. And we you introduced us to the Ancient of Days. Uh, God the Father. Yeah. And now we find the second time we have the judgment here in Daniel chapter 7. And maybe beginning in verse 13, if you would want to read that, and then we can unpack that as sure. we go along. So we've read about the court being seated and the books being opened. Then in verse 13 of Daniel 7, it says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days... And they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. So in verse 13, we see the son of man, one like the son of man. And it says coming with clouds. And we might think, oh, that's the second coming. He's coming with the clouds of heaven. But it says he came to the Ancient of Days. So this is not Jesus coming back in glory to earth. This is the Son of Man, which is Jesus, coming to the Ancient of Days, which is God the Father. And it says, And they brought him near before him. So it's as though Jesus is being presented before the Father in this heavenly judgment scene, which is fascinating to think about because one of Jesus' most... uh, probably the most favorite or his most prolific name that he would use for himself when he was here on earth was the son of man he would say the son of man did not come to be served but to serve Um, and so he will talk about himself as the son of man many many occasions through the gospels it was his favorite term to Mm, use for himself and here we have the description of jesus as the son of man in daniel chapter 7 and It's interesting that in the judgment scene, in the courtroom scene that we have described here, it is Jesus who is brought before the Father. And you would think, well, why why would that be? And it is because Jesus is representing you and me. He is representing humanity, is representing all those who are claiming him as their saviour. He is going to be their representative in the heavenly judgment. And that is exceedingly good news for those who put their faith and trust in Christ. Absolutely. So there's nothing to be afraid of if your life is hid with Christ, as the Apostle Paul Paul, um, puts it. There is nothing to be afraid of. And I want to just continue to pick up on verse 14 before we skip over to the end of the chapter in the third phase of the judgment. In verse 14 it says, Then to him, that is to Christ, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Okay, so this is speaking of Jesus Christ receiving a a kingdom and receiving dominion. Now what's fascinating, Peter, is the third time we have a judgment scene here in Daniel 7. We once again have the timing sequence. We won't take the time to read it. Repeated in large three times and three significant in Bible in the Bible. Whenever you have something repeated three times, it's yep. extremely important, extremely significant. 
we once again have the timing of the judgment, which begins in verse 23, which we won't take a look at, beginning with the fourth beast, and then it moves into the ten horns, and then it moves into a little horn power in verse 25. And then in verse 26, this is where I want to, uh, this is where I want to connect the verse 14 where Christ receives dominion with something absolutely amazing that we find at the end of Daniel chapter 7. So I'll pick it up in verse 27. Verse 27, the last verse here um, on this judgment scene. It says, Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole of heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom, that is Christ's kingdom, is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So now we have God's people, the saved, they also receive the kingdom and they reign with Christ. Yeah, This is phenomenal. It is phenomenal. That, that, that God the Father gives his kingdom to his Son and Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, then invites the saved to join him in ruling and reigning. Um, there here, are several here on this earth. It's absolutely, just it, is, it is amazing. There are several waves of this because we mentioned the uh, judgment scene there in Re- um, Daniel chapter seven, verse um, was it nine and ten to begin yeah, with? Nine and ten, and then it picked up in thirteen, fourteen. Yep. Then you also have a repeat of it in Daniel seven twenty-two, and I don't want to miss this verse. It's one of my favourite verses in the chapter. It says that there was this power that's warring against God's people, and it says until. The Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favour of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. So you have this build-up, then you have the judgment scene mentioned in Daniel 9 and 10 and so forth. Then you have this build-up and it's mentioned again in Daniel 7.22. Then it repeats again and enlarges again in Daniel uh, chapter 7.26 and 27. So you have this repeat and enlarge series through that chapter. It is amazing. And if I can just point out one thing regarding the timing, uh, we have this judgment scene taking place in verse 26 of Daniel 7. It's very clear. But the court shall be seated. This is after the time, times and a half a time, which is that 1260 year prophecy that we've looked at, which ended in 1798. So sometime after 1798, the Bible says the court shall be seated and they shall take away his dominion. That Mm. is this little horn power to consume and destroy it forever. And then it goes on and speaks um, of God's people reigning with Christ. That's an important um, time element, isn't it? it because is. we've learned from uh, Paul that there is a judgment. God has, he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world. That is after the cross. It's years after the cross when Paul is speaking, and Paul is speaking of a yet future event. So it's after the cross. It's after Paul. We've also read in Revelation that the hour of his judgment is come. He's announced by the first angel. There are two more angels to announce before the second coming. So we've seen that it's before the second coming. You have the announcement of this judgment message after the time of Jesus, after the time of Paul, before the second coming. And here we have a little more specificity of the timing in that we find this judgment occurring after the time, times and a half a time period of the Little Horn Powers activity. So that would finish in 1798, as you've mentioned. We've talked about this prophecy in previous 
episodes. So sometime after 1798, you have this judgment occurring. Now, what I want to do, Danny, if I can, is ask a question, because I think we should get into this a little bit before we dive into... There's plenty more scripture to talk about in terms of this judgment. There's lots of scripture on it, but... Why does God need a judgment? I think this is a question we want to talk about, simply from the perspective that there'll be many people out there thinking, well, okay, I get that I'm a sinner. I get that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I've accepted Jesus and I've accepted his payment for my sins. Why does God need a judgment? And I think we should address that question. That's a very important question because the... The question is, if God knows everything, right? why does he need a judgment? Why does he need books? Yeah, I mean, you know. That's right, books um, of records. Yeah, but why does God need that if, if he already knows everything? Yeah, that, that's a very important question. We, we, we need to look at that. I think, I think there is a... Now, I've you know, crafted the, 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 the uh, question that way, but I think there is a, uh, a pres- presupposition in the question. So... Why does God need a judgment? That presupposes that he does need one, you know, because it's asking why does he need it? Mm. Well, does God need it? And we have said that if if the Bible's true and that God is all-knowing, he knows everything, he knows what's on your heart and on your mind. And here's the incredible thing, and this is an incredible thing for the listeners to hear. It's very, very important for us to understand. God knows everything about you and he loves you anyway. That is the amazing thing. That's the amazing things about the, about the gospel. You know, I might love someone and not know that much about them. You know, there are people who love celebrities and they know next to nothing about them personally, right? But God knows every detail of our lives, every thought that passes through our heads. And he loves me anyway. That is amazing. That is absolutely phenomenal that God would love somebody like me for the things that I, after all the things that I've done and said and thought, but God still loves me and he wants to redeem me, he wants to save me, he wants to live with me forever. That is a, that's amazing grace. That's the amazing story of the gospel, that God loves me in spite of what I've done and who I've, you know, who I've been, because he sees what I can be in Christ. He loves me ever as I am, but he also knows what I can be in Christ. So when we talk about why does God need a judgment, clearly the judgment is not for God's sake. No, it's not for him. In other words, if God knows everything, God does not need a judgment for somebody else outside of himself to bring him information that he did not have. So if the judgment is not for God's sake, then who is the judgment for? Well, there's only one other possibility for who it could be mm-hmm. for his created beings right for his created beings that unlike god do not have all knowledge we don't know everything we're not omniscient is that yeah. the right term to, yeah. to all knowing you know god is omniscient all yeah. knowing but we don't now when it comes to the judgment i want us to look at three there are three characters in the judgment um, firstly you have and this and this is in a court of law uh, people will identify with this. Yes. We have we have the defense attorney, we have the judge, and then we have the prosecution. And it's interesting, according to Scripture, who the defense is. And I want to just read to you 
um, who the defence is in the judgment. Can I leap back yes, for you two can. minutes? Because yes, I, you can. I just feel like we left that conversation hanging. I just want to explore that a little bit because I really do want to get to these three characters in the judgment because I think they're important too. But if the judgment is not for God's sake, it is for other people, right? It's for us. It's for the universe, the onlooking universe, the angels. The angels are described as beings that are, are more powerful, more wise than we are, but they don't have all knowledge, as we've said. So God is here being transparent. And I think that's very important because we, in our current communities, we want transparency mm, from our leaders, good point. right? We really want we want our leaders. We don't want under the table deals going on. We you know we hear about corruption so often in politics and in people in, in positions of power. God is the ultimate transparent ruler, and that He has the judgment not because He needs it, but in order for the the security of the entire universe, so that they can know that when God judges, He's being just. So could it be, Peter, that these books that are opened that mm. we've looked at? Uh, not for the purpose of God to find out, but for the purpose of all of God's created beings. It to says discover there are 10,000 times 10,000 looking on That's right. at this judgment. And we just read earlier in Revelation 15, 4, where your judgments have been manifested or yep. made known yep. um, to, 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 to the rest of the world. So, so I think that's important because God is saying, this is the way I'm dealing with the sin problem. I want you to see clearly what I'm doing. God doesn't want to hide anything. No. And now when it comes to um, these three elements of mm. the defense, the judge and the prosecution, we have that in Scripture also. Now I want to read to you from 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, where John writes, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Okay, so who's the advocate with the Father? He goes on, Jesus Christ the righteous. Mm. So our advocate or our defense attorney is who? Jesus Christ. Christ. Yeah. Now, the news gets better, Peter. The news well, gets better. Hang on. I, I just want to dwell on that. There was, I, was up to, I was up at Coffs Harbour uh, a few years ago, and they've got a, a local newspaper mm. called The Advocate. Mm. Um, and an advocate, we need to unpack that. And, and the, an advocate is one who speaks on your behalf. That's right. So that's why we would say there's a defense attorney, if you like. Jesus is the one who s speaks on your behalf. And that's super good news. That is super good news. Now, are you ready for this, folk? You need to be holding on to your seats. Uh, we're going to find out now who is the judge. Check this out. Who do you think most people would think? God, the Father. They would think that God, you the Father, is the judge. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be when we've just talked about the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man comes before him, you would think, oh, well, the judge must be God, the Father. Absolutely. But check this out. Are you ready? All right. We're going to unpack this, but let me give it to you. John 5.22, for the Father judges no one but has committed all judgment to the Son. Wow. wow. This is incredible. Jesus Christ is our advocate. He's our defense attorney as well as our judge. There's more good news to come. So sit back and uh, listen to some news and some music and we'll be back with you in just a little bit. Shadow on the wall Well, I am grateful that 
Don't you shine a light on me at all Who am I That you would love me so gently Who am I That you would recognize my name Lord, who am I That you would speak to me so softly Conversation with a love most high Lost but now I'm found Was blind but now I see And the more I sing that sweet old song The more I understand That I do not comprehend this love That's coming from your hand Who am I That you would love me so gently Who am I That you would recognize my name Lord, who am I? That you would speak to me so softly Conversational with a love most high Who am I? Welcome back to Faith FM, and we are in the final leg of our afternoon looking at the subject of justice and the judgment and what the Bible has to say. Just to just to continue on where we were before the break, we discovered that the judgment has three all-important characters. Number one, we have the defense attorney, and we've discovered the good news that that is Jesus Christ. We've discovered that Jesus Christ is not only our defense attorney, he's not only our advocate, but the Bible says that he is also our judge. In fact, Jesus himself told us in John 5.22 that he is the judge, that God the Father has committed all judgment to the Son. And then we have a third individual in the judgment scene, and we have this 
um, in our everyday courts, and that is the prosecution. Mm. Okay, the prosecution, and the the one that is prosecuting us in the, the judgment, accuser. the accuser of the brethren, is none other than Satan. And I just want to read from Revelation twelve verse ten, where we discover that indeed Satan is the he's the accuser, he's the prosecution. It says. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, and now is the, the, the timing of the now then Revelation 12.10 is in the context of the cross. Mm. Jesus has been crucified. He has won the victory over the devil and, um, and Satan. He has paid the price on behalf of the sins of every single person from Adam all the way through to the end of time. He has won that victory. And the Bible says now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. So Peter, this is the incredible truth that we find from, from Scripture, in particular from the book of Revelation. At the cross, because of that cross event, Satan is now a defeated foe. Mm. He is he he now is a defeated accuser of the brethren. Right. So here is the good news. The good news is if you and I, whoever you may be, wherever you may be listening, whatever you may have done, it matters not what you have done. If you have come to Jesus and you have asked him for forgiveness for your sins, if you have accepted his sacrifice on your behalf, the punishment that he has taken on board on your behalf, you now, when God looks at you, you now are as if you have never sinned. You, you are justified. 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 And that word justified, someone broke it down just as if you had never sinned. Just just if I'd never sinned. That's just right. as if I'd never sinned. I love this picture. Go on, Danny. So 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 the good news is as as we come to Christ, as we receive his gift of forgiveness, now when the Father sees us. He doesn't see us in all our sins, but now he sees us covered with that robe mm. of Jesus Christ's righteousness. And this is what Paul says when he says in Galatians 2.20, you know, it's no longer I that live, yeah. but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live in faith by, by, by Christ, the one who loved me and gave himself for me. It's, so, a, it's the miracle of salvation. It's just an amazing... Talk about good news. I, I can't imagine... I, I can't barely describe how good new how good this news was when I recognized it as a sinner in need of a savior. Because Jesus dies on the cross, paying the penalty for my sin. So he effectively the Bible talks about it, it says all our righteousness is as filthy rags. So effectively God takes away my filthy rags and takes them to the cross, right? But he doesn't leave me naked. He cleans he, he washes me. And then he clothes me in Christ's righteousness. The Bible says that we are clothed with Christ's righteousness. And what that means is Jesus, when he lived here on earth, he had a perfect record. He didn't sin once, not even in thought. He has a perfect record and he credits me with that perfect record. He clothes me in his robe of righteousness. And when you said that when the God the Father looks down... He doesn't see you, he sees Christ. That's because you are clothed with Christ. Uh, I, I think this is amazing. So he takes away my sin to the cross. He clothes me in his perfect record. And then he, does, he goes even further than that. He gives me the Holy Spirit to empower me to walk in his ways. Yeah. So 
You know, it's a it's it's a complete package that God has done. For it's that us. transformation. It is. And, um, you know, Paul says, you know, if anyone is in Christ, once again, yeah. that in Christ, in yeah. Christ, in Christ, and all through the New Testament, you discover these two all important words that Paul uses over and over again: in Christ, mm. in Christ, in Christ. Yeah. And um, and w- w- when it comes to being clothed, I-, I can't help but think of Adam and Eve. Yeah. I mean, when they sinned, what what they do? The Bible says they, they became na- they recognized they were naked. They recognized they were naked, and what did they do? They clothed themselves, uh-huh. the Bible says, in fig leaves. Okay. And then they were still naked. Mm. And then the only way they found they they found that their shame was taken away is when those skins, those animal skins were placed on them, symbolizing the sacrifice of Christ, and now finally they were clothed. Mm. And so we in ourselves, through our own works, through our own righteousness, like you said, it's filthy rags, and we have nothing to offer on uh, to God. And so, so if we don't have Jesus Christ in us, if we have not accepted Christ, if Christ is not our advocate, mm. if he is not our judge, if he is not our sacrifice, then when God the Father looks at us, he looks at us. Yes. He doesn't look at Christ. Yeah. Um, and so then we stand condemned, and then yeah. we, we, we are guilty of what the accuser, Satan, convicts us of because we haven't received forgiveness because we haven't gone to Christ for forgiveness. Yeah, that's actually right. If we we think about those three characters in the judgment, the judge, sorry, the advocate, the judge, and the prosecutor or the accuser, if you've got Jesus as your judge and your defense, you can't lose. It's rigged. It it is. (laughs) It's rigged in your favor. It is. That's the mercy of God, right? And so God can then justifiably clear you and declare you not guilty because he has taken all the sins that you have and he's placed them on Jesus. That's right. And he's gone to the cross with them. Whereas if you don't have Jesus and you've got the accuser of the brethren, which is the accuser is Satan, the thing with Satan is he doesn't have to accuse you of things you haven't done. Mm. That that's the sad reality, is that we're all we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the devil doesn't have to accuse us falsely. He just simply accuses us of what we've done. But when he does that and Jesus is our advocate, Jesus steps in and said, yes, I have paid for that. And I've given this person my righteousness. So this person is perfect in Christ because they're clothed with Christ. They have a perfect record. You and I don't have a perfect record in and of ourselves, Danny. We're, just, no. we're joking if we think we're going to make it on our own. But we, we can be clothed with Christ and then we're perfect in him. Mm. And then Jesus is saying, I paid for Danny. I paid for Peter. I paid for anyone. The Bible says whosoever, right? Anyone who wants to accept Christ as their personal Savior can do so and have that payment. Yeah, the good news is, just continuing on from that thought, Peter, is that at any time, we can come to Christ. Mm. We can come to Christ. We can come to his throne of grace. And I want to read this uh, very well-known scripture, and it's a beautiful scripture. It's one of my favorite scriptures. I've memorized it, and it's in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, where the, where the Apostle Paul, I believe he is the author of the book of Hebrews, writes, For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus Christ, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin, which is what we've been saying. And then he goes on, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Mm. So we can come boldly to God's throne. Um, 
through Jesus Christ. Absolutely. All right. So just putting all that together, if Jesus did that for us at the cross, again, I just want to come back to one of those questions about why does God need a judgment? And we talked about it's not for him. It's for the transparency. It's for the security of the universe. And one of the questions I have is, is God justified in taking sinners to heaven. If we think about Lucifer, who began a rebellion in heaven and was cast out of heaven with his rebellious angels, we've got to think about this from a universal point of view. We think we often think of it from our only only our own lives or even just from planet Earth. Mm. But we have to think about this from a universal scale because where Lucifer was in the courts of heaven, this is beyond Earth. Right, this controversy between Christ and Satan goes beyond the borders of planet Earth. Well, it started in heaven, according to Revelation heaven, twelve. Yeah. Revelation twelve. It started in heaven. So, therefore, God has to answer that. How is it that God is justified in bringing you and I back into heaven when we've been sinners? Mm. Right, we're all sinners in need of a savior, and the judgment demonstrates a that God, Jesus, pleads His blood on our behalf. Right, He has paid for our sins. And the judgment reveals that we've accepted that salvation. We mm. have accepted because our lives, what happens with our lives is we are transformed by the love of Jesus. And we began to walk in his ways. I like to talk about it like this. I'm running from God, but when I accept Jesus, I'm then walking with God. Mm. I turn around. There's a conversion that occurs. That's that word repentance. That repentance. So I'm running from God in sin, but then I meet Jesus. I repent. I turn. I come. And now I'm walking with Jesus. And that is visible from heaven. And so it's not that our um, it's not our deeds that get us to heaven. It's Jesus' deeds. But our lives reveal that Jesus has done a work in our life. Mm. Christ in you, the hope of glory, yeah. and Christ working yeah. in you. Yeah, that's right. Um, the direction of your life. That's right. That's yeah. right. So it's all about Jesus, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. Yeah. So it's all centered in Jesus Christ. And so, my dear friends, as we as we seek to land this afternoon, I hope and pray that you've been blessed, and I hope and pray that the message has been clear, that Jesus Christ is our only hope. And there is no plan B other than to accept his sacrifice. Mm. That's what we have been invited to do, to accept his sacrifice. And I know you want to share a couple more things, Peter, but I just want to share from Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. It's just a beautiful scripture, a promise here that we can all take on board. He who overcomes, writes John, shall be clothed in white garments. Mm. Uh, they're those garments of Christ's righteousness and his sacrifice. And I, this, these are the words of Jesus. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. This wow. is that judgment seat. Yeah. I will confess him. He belongs to me. I have forgiven him or her. All of their sins, they are mine. They have chosen to be my son, my daughter. They are in my kingdom. They yeah. are mine. They will rule and reign with me. It's just a beautiful picture when you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. <laughs> it is. I was thinking about the fact that we started out talking about justice. And the fact is, if there is no justice, there, if there is no God, there can be no justice. You take that massacre, for instance, that occurred in New Zealand. One man kills 51 people. Okay, you send him to jail and he spends the rest of his life in jail. Even if there was the death penalty, you sentence him to death, he's gone. How does that do anything for the 51 people who've lost their lives and the families who are Mm. mourning their loss? 
You can only really have justice if there is punishment for the perpetrator, but compensation for the victims. And the only way you can have compensation when somebody's died is to be able to bring them back to life again. Mm. And only God can do that. Mm. So in any earthly court, you might say, okay, we're sending the guy to jail for life, but how is that justice? It doesn't bring them back. Only God can bring true justice. Amen. So um, uh, it's such a beautiful truth that God is the is the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-life-giving uh, God that we serve in the universe, a God of love. And at the cross, the Bible says in Psalm 85, verse 10, justice and mercy kissed. Uh, we receive mercy because of the sacrifice of Christ, and he took on board our punishment. He took on board the justice that we should have paid and in order for us to have mercy. Mm, and so we amen. praise God for that, that Christ is giving us his mercy through his powerful justice. Well, we've nearly come to the end of our program. We're going to be speaking of the giveaway, so stay tuned in just a little bit. There'll be a giveaway, but in the meantime, sit back and listen to Avalon El Shaddai.
Welcome back and we're in the last minute and a half of our program for this afternoon. I hope and pray that you have been extremely blessed by God through his word as we've unpacked this all important message of God's judgment, the justice, mercy and how that all fits in with the character of God. Next week. We are going to be taking a look at the timing of the judgment. We're going to be going to Daniel chapter 8. So stay tuned for that next week as we continue um, in this series. Now, Peter, over to you. What's the giveaway for today? Okay, so the giveaway today is a book called Judgment and Hell by Jim Eyre. And I'm sure people will find that fascinating. Hell is another topic we should do a topic on because that's a much much misunderstood topic. But Judgment and Hell by Jim Eyre. If you would like uh, that free giveaway, please call 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-324-843. Or text 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. So get in there. Give us a call. Well, I just want to really thank you all, folk, for um, joining us this afternoon, Peter and myself, on Looking Up. And that's and that's our message for you as we sign off. We want to encourage you to keep looking up, keep looking at Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. And if you continue to look to him, you are assured of your place in that kingdom of God, which will be, which will only be full of mercy, grace, love, joy, peace, and happiness around us. So, so until next week, God bless you and keep on looking up.